The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would be with us this morning. I pray that you would be with us as we look through Luke 4, 9 through 12. Help us to get a better understanding of how trustworthy you are and help us to grow and increase in that trust and love for you. In your name, amen. So the intro this morning is, how far will you follow Jesus? If you want to follow Jesus, you must be ready for the wilderness. The wilderness is a place of preparation. It is the place you face your greatest temptation. It can be a lonely, scary place, but it is not a place without God. Because God promises to never leave us or forsake us. God is there. But we must choose his way, the way of a greater affection, when we are presented with the temptation of other options In this series, we watch Jesus face his great temptation and choose to obey the Father every time. Let's learn from his victory and find victory in our lives today. And as we start our sermon this morning, I wanted to start by telling you a story. How many of you guys know my son Samuel? Mostly all of you. And anyone that knows him knows that he has the energy of 10 normal children. I sometimes think he invents ways of doing things that seem pretty crazy. Every single time we pick Sam up from his daycare, they give us a status report. It was either it was a very good day or it was a rough day. We tend to hear things like, he did really good today at keeping his hands to himself. Or, he did really good at sharing. But then on other times, we hear, we had to remind Sammy to keep his hands to himself. And then other times, we also had to tell him not to say this to the other children. One time he told me that anything I say in front of him, he promised to take to school and tell other people. (laughs) So, just so you know, he's very attentive. Sam has always been kind of this wild little guy. This morning, he asked me for a cup of coffee. He's only four. I'm not sure if he goes out looking for adventure or if adventure finds him in his mind. Regardless, he seems to find it, and it happens quite often. I want to tell you about such a time. So last summer, Susanna and I were sitting out back around our small fireplace. If anybody's been to our yard, it's off on one side of the house. We have two gates, so think Fargate when I'm telling this story, okay? So it was a quiet and peaceful evening. We were sitting close and talking and enjoying the warm air when all of a sudden we heard this loud noise that sounded like whimpering. And I remember Susanna looked over me and, to me and she said, do you hear that? What is that? To which I responded, I'm not sure. Then Susanna said, it sounds like someone's crying. Is that one of our neighborhood kids? 
Because it made absolutely no sense that it would be one of our little ones because they were in bed and hopefully by this time they were sleeping. The noise was coming from the back gate area, that far back gate. So we walked over there to try to figure out where the noise was coming from. And when we opened the door, there was Samuel with his eyes just full of tears crying. And we both looked at each other kind of shocked like, how did he get out here? <laughs> well, you see... Sam's room is right above the garage. It's about a 12 feet drop to the pavement underneath. It's not a huge length of space, but to someone who stands three feet tall or less, it would be. While he might have been only three feet tall, he was also only three years old. So he was just a very small guy. Well, what happened was Samuel used his bed as a ladder to get up to his windowsill. And he opened the windowsill by force, which, if you can believe it, if he's determined, he's determined, he's going to do it. And then had gotten on the top of the garage roof. But after walking around for a while, he decided it was time to explore. And while he was exploring, being bored of the front roof section, he decided to walk down the back roof section that led to our gate where the backyard is. I got another photo. It was during this exploration that this little man lost his footing and made his way crashing to the ground. But now, here was Sam crying, and he wanted his daddy in a muffled and hard-to-understand voice, he had said that he had fallen and he was scared. He also told us he didn't want to go back to bed. Sam just wanted to stay up with us. In Sam's mind, the safest place he could be was in the arms of his father. So, of course, I bundled him up and I held him by the fire because he was shaken up quite a bit. But after we thoroughly checked on him, in case CPS is watching, <laughs> we had established he was okay. We put him back to bed, but we started to think of all the things that could have went wrong. Now, we did look at his eyes, and we did kind of like hold up his arms, and we're like, breathe, does it hurt anywhere? We pressed different things, and uh, he seemed okay. But what if he would have fell through his window? Or what if he fell and hit his head and he couldn't come find us? What if he would have been impaled by an outdoor tool that was leaned against the house? I've cleaned it up since then. You saw the photo. What if he would have died and we would have just been sitting there by the fire? What if the neighbors thought we had neglected him and that's how he got out of his room? We definitely had to make reparations to his window to make sure that he wouldn't get out again. But what about Sam's perspective? His father is someone he can trust. I take care of him and I provide all of his needs. But in this moment, I wasn't there to help him from falling off the roof. What if this moment, instead of growing in trust for his father, Sam started to wonder, is my father really trustworthy? Does my father really have my best interests in mind? Does my father really take care of all of my needs? I mean, I just fell. Is my father really there in times when I need him the most? And some of you may say, well, that's a little bit unfair. But isn't that how we believe lies sometimes? They just creep in. They're small, and then they build in our lives. And while this story may sound humorous or even scary, it's true. And it reminds me of the story that we find in Luke 4, 9 through 12. 
And this is where we're going to camp out today as our main scripture. And the big question that we're going to answer this morning is, how can we know that the Heavenly Father is trustworthy? And the answer is by remembering where he's met us, the words he has spoken, and his faithfulness. So Luke 4, 9 through 12 It says, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. If you recall at the beginning of Luke chapter 4, we see that Jesus has been led to the wilderness being full of the Holy Spirit. So he wasn't empty when he was led there. But Jesus has been in the wilderness for 40 long days and he is hungry, weak and tired and being tempted by the devil. I have a tendency when I study scripture personally and I'm given a passage to see the passage and almost forget the context of how it fits in the story. But what we see in this particular temptation is a progression of how the devil has come to tempt Jesus. And as each one fails to work, the devil reinvents his scheme and he comes once more to try to disrupt what Jesus has come to do. So if you recall, a few short weeks ago, we started to walk through the temptations that Jesus encountered in the wilderness. If you remember, that was when Ibrahim preached. And Jesus had been in the wilderness for 40 days during this first temptation. During this time, Jesus had been fasting. He had not eaten anything. And I don't know about you guys, but when I haven't eaten for a while, and I'm talking a short period of time, maybe two hours, three hours, I start becoming weak and angry. And it just changes me, right? But here's Jesus who hadn't eaten anything for 40 days. And the devil comes to him kind of almost like a, and I see it almost like a nurturing soul, right? Because he's like, you're obviously hungry, Jesus. Take these stones and turn them into bread. And Jesus is fully aware that all provision and sustenance that he needs for life comes directly from the Father. But the devil being slick is trying to get Jesus to doubt that God knows what's best for him. Almost like how he tempted Adam and Eve. God had given them instructions of how to live with him in harmony in the garden. However, when the devil shows up, he starts talking about another way. And he's sowing this seed of doubt that God really knows what he's telling them. And they give in. But Jesus sees past the devil's trick and responds with scripture himself. Deuteronomy 8.3, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The devil doesn't want us to fully rely on God. He wants us to believe that we have to do something in order to help God. And we see stories of that all throughout the Bible. When something doesn't happen the way that God tells them it's going to happen, they're almost like trying to speed up the process, right? Abraham and Sarah with the maidservant having a child because they can't wait for the one that's coming. Maybe the promise wasn't true. Um, Think about how God led the Israelites out of Egypt and they should have only been wandering for 11 days, but it becomes 40 years Because he tells them what they need to do to go into the promised land. But instead of doing it, they doubt. 
We see so many examples of how people jump the gun, but that's not Jesus. Jesus depends on the Father for all the provisions that he needs for life, so he shuts down that first temptation. And the second one, after the devil realizes that that first scheme doesn't work, decides to try another angle. We have to see this devil kind of like as a master manipulator. If one scheme doesn't work, he's going to try the next one. Manipulators never come out directly and tell you what they're doing. They usually mask the truth of what they're doing in an attempt to trap you in what they're planning for you. So changing his approach, the devil comes back almost like a salesman. And if you remember, the devil's attractive. So this is kind of the razzle-dazzle temptation. Okay, Jesus is offering all the authority and splendor to Jesus. All the kingdoms of the world and promising to give them to Jesus if he would just bow down and worship him. What the devil was offering Jesus was not even his to give him. He could only give him that power from a very earthly standpoint. And we know that because Matthew 28, 18, what does it say? It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And that was after the cross. So it wasn't limited to what the devil was offering. It was complete authority over heaven and earth. Not just earth. Which if he would have accepted that. Remember Daniel last week when he was preaching. He said he's being offered a shortcut. This crown without a cross. That he could bypass the hurt. The pain. Rejection. And be celebrated here on earth. But the reality is. The devil would be the one who would be worshipped. And he becomes the object of worship. And Jesus then becomes a puppet leader. And Jesus knows that. So it would be a momentary leadership. And not lasting. Not what we saw in Matthew 28, 18, which Jesus achieves on the cross. So Jesus, knowing the one who's hunting him in the true authority, power, and splendor that belonged to his father, responds by saying, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And this was from Deuteronomy 6, 13, where Moses had commanded the people not to serve any other gods, because God is a jealous God and will not share his throne with anyone else. While the devil was being crafty, Jesus was aware of the authority and splendor that was from the Father. And so Jesus quotes the words God had given to Moses to the people of Israel. And again, this shuts down the second temptation, which leads us to the third temptation before Jesus um, starts his public ministry. I want you to see kind of in this temptation that the devil is just building in frustration because nothing seems to be working anymore. Or at all. It hadn't worked at all. But the devil is no longer hiding who he is. He's in full bully manipulator mode. You know what I'm talking about. The bully's going to do anything in his power to get you to respond the way that he wants you to respond. He'll do anything. He'll say anything. And he's just wanting you to fall into his trap to make you look silly. You guys have been there, I'm sure. Every single one of us. This made me think of bullies that you meet in school. I remember this bully in school. His name was Kevin. I was going to use his last name, but I don't want you to know, just in case any of you are Facebook stalkers. So the reality is this. Every single time, two people would get froggy, and they would kind of get chest to chest, you know, and they'd be, you know, flexing, about to fight. I could always hear Kevin's weaselly voice going, ooh, bet you won't hit him. Every single time, and every single time he did it, just like clockwork, a punch was thrown. Kevin was able to get the reaction he wanted because he could create this atmosphere where he was in control of the situation. Kevin had that master manipulator vibe. I should probably reach out to him because I don't, I don't know what he's up to these days. He's not the devil. 
but it's kind of like what the devil is doing. The devil in this temptation wants to cut at the heart of Jesus' relationship with his father. The devil wants Jesus to distrust the father. And this is the same thing that we talked about earlier with Sam. What if instead of running to me, it became a source of bitterness for Sam and he stopped trusting that I wanted what was best for him? What if what Sam experienced on the rooftop led him to believe that I would not be there for him when he needed me the most? Or that the security he found in our relationship wasn't what he thought it was? This is the same kind of distrust that Satan, the devil, is trying to produce in Jesus' heart. And if you notice, which I had not, Daniel pointed this out when we met this week, in every single temptation, Jesus responds with Scripture, and the devil only uses Scripture once. However, when the devil does use Scripture, it's almost like he's tearing a play out of Jesus' life playbook to trip him up. He doesn't use the scripture correctly. Instead of using it to build up and increase trust, the devil uses it in this scenario to attempt to create confusion and distrust in Jesus. God's word is never used to bring us glory and a crown of our own. It's used to bring him glory and to make his throne known. But the devil is using the word of God to try to cause Jesus to second-guess the Father. Remember how the Pharisees came to Jesus and they questioned him, trying to trip him up in his words to create confusion, probably to make him look silly in front of everyone else. That's what Satan's doing here. The devil knows the words of God. He also knows how God's word ends and what he's doing is grasping for straws. How can I still win? If he can get Jesus to distrust the Father, then every brick in the foundation Jesus stands upon would crumble. And that is what he is aiming for in this temptation we are going to look at. However, we want, we want to know, what we want to know is how can we know that the Heavenly Father is trustworthy? Is God worth trusting in? And this morning, there are three things that we need to do if we are to see that God is trustworthy. And all three involve your brain. And I think if you can cause your brain to do what I'm going to tell you this morning, it will motivate your heart to trust Jesus, to trust God more. We need to remember, that's what we need to do. We need to remember, there are three things I want you to remember. Just like Jesus remembered the words of his father, I want you to remember three things so that when the temptation to distrust your father pops into your head, you will throw those thoughts away and cling to Jesus. I want you to remember first the familiar places and how God met you there. Look at the first verse we see in our passage, Luke 4, 9. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. When I first saw the words Jerusalem, I thought, oh, the devil is taking Jesus to this place of authority, this place of worship, this place of influence, this place of power. Because we know that the temple in Jerusalem was a place of worship. So I thought this was just another offer of power. But after wrestling with it, I remembered that Jesus was very familiar with the temple. In fact, he spent a lot of time there. Do you recall just two chapters earlier in Luke 2, 41 through 49, which I don't have the verses, it's a lot. Jesus' parents had gone to Jerusalem every year to the festival of the Passover as part of their custom. But after the festival had ended, they had returned home, but Jesus had remained behind. 
They had made it about a day's journey when they realized that Jesus was not with them. They searched for three days and then finally returned to Jerusalem where they found Jesus, the boy in the temple. And what was Jesus' response to when his mother questioned him on why he stayed behind? He said, why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Jesus wasn't worried about being with his physical family or about the items he needed for his daily life or whether he looked good. He was just so delighted to be in the presence of his father. Jesus was familiar with the temple. He had been there before. Isn't it funny how the devil will take us to places that are familiar to us in order to try and trap us? The devil took Jesus to his very father's house. That's a weird spot to take somebody that you're trying to inflict some harm or cause doubt in. This isn't a new place. It's almost like the devil wants to come here and then change the narrative or confuse Jesus about what is taking place here, right? But unlike the first visit where Jesus was enamored by the presence of God, the devil is trying to distort the way Jesus thinks in regards of the Father. And I kind of almost think maybe as Jesus was standing on the highest point of the temple, do you wonder if he might have thought, I know where I am. I know whose house this is. I know who's in control right now. Self-talk, people, this is you. Am I right? So when the devil brought him here, I have to believe that Jesus is recognizing where he was and he's remembering the time when he first trusted his father. I find it funny how often we're tempted with familiar things. How many temptations have you faced where they look identical to a temptation you have already experienced? Maybe packaged a little different. How many positions have you found yourself in that it's like, I've experienced this before? Did God save you, but you make a lot of mistakes, so maybe you're not saved? You wrestle with that all the time? That same temptation to wrestle with that? Did God save your marriage years ago, but now for some reason it's different, so divorce seems the best option? It's kind of scary. Did God deliver you from an addiction, but you relapsed, so maybe you don't have power in Christ to quit? Did God put you in a group of Christian friends who wants what's best for you, but you've never felt love like that before, so you run? I mean, these are temptations that we face all the time. And it's like, we think that they're different. But it's like the first thing that you did, the first time you trusted God and he brought you through that and you had that victory, that's the same thing you're supposed to do every time, but our minds don't let us hold that as a trophy. We almost forget. These places that God has met us, are they scary and hard, or do we see him and say, I've been here before, I know who's in control, and I know who can handle this situation? We have to remember the familiar places that where God has met us. We have tons of examples of this in the Bible. It wasn't long after Israel had left Egypt that they wanted to go back to slavery because they had so easily forgotten how God had brought them out, how he had closed the Red Sea like prison doors over his enemies, over their enemies. And then they go into this new land, right? And they're complaining about water and hunger. And it's like, God just freed you from slavery. And you're worried about something so small and trivial. And we do that. We act as if God has brought us somewhere and then forgot us. And that's not his character because he doesn't forget. 
the evil one knows exactly where to pull at our heartstrings to slow us from realizing we can trust God. Remember, he's crafty. Second thing I want you to remember this morning is to remember God's word in context. Hinging off the second part of verse 9, we see the devil kind of nudged Jesus. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. The if here is found in other translations to be the word since. It's important to distinguish this in our minds because what we think is being said is, if you are the son of God, then jump. Kind of like, prove it, he'll catch you. But really what he's saying is, since you are the son of God, then you know the truth of who you are and you know your father will not let any harm come to you. So he will catch you. This is not a question. It's certainty in the voice of the devil to get Jesus to do what he wants him to do. He's almost building up this idea of like, do it. If he loves you the way that he says he does, he's going to catch you. You're confident, right, Jesus? And then look at Luke 4, 10 through 11. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. I kind of hear like this idea, like I said, surely Jesus, he's going to catch you. You are his son. What loving father wouldn't catch you? But Jesus knows the words of God better than the devil does because he lives them. He is the very word of God. Remember the word of God became flesh? That's Jesus. So the devil was using the words incorrectly. The devil was quoting Psalm 91, 11 through 12, and it's literally word for word. But what we don't see is in this devil's scheme that the verses that we needed to focus on were the verses that come right before in 9 through 10. And it says, If you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No, no disaster will come near your tent. This is God's promise to take care of those that find their refuge in him, not an excuse for reckless living. This is talking about the wisdom of making God your refuge. The devil is manipulating scripture to try to use it to convince Jesus that this applies for this stupid scenario. I remember this Pep Boys commercial when I was a kid. There's these two meathead mechanics, you know, and, and one of them's just standing over a car. And he's beating this battery into the car, right? And this guy comes up and he goes, are you sure that's the right size battery for my car? And he goes, ah, it's all right. We'll make it fit, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, then it goes back and goes, we've been doing this a long time. And then you see him as kids, right? And he's beating this, this circular block into a square hole. And it's all frayed and destroyed. And they're just proud of this, like, you know, monstrosity that they had destroyed, right? And this is kind of how the devil is mangling scripture right now. He's literally taking it apart and making it mean what he wants it to mean. Has anyone ever done that? They might not say it in the way that the word presents it, but they might say it in a way that kind of makes us think differently about the word. It can sound like this in our friend circles. I kind of want to share a few with you. Ultimately, you should be happy. Why wouldn't God want you to be happy? It doesn't sound like a loving God to me. If God truly loved you, he would be happy with you no matter what you did. Doesn't it say for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believed in him has eternal life? You only need to believe. Do what you want. I couldn't imagine you ever doing anything wrong. You're just the sweetest and kindest person I've ever met. We know it says there's not one righteous, not even one. <laughs> You're just a good person. He'll forgive you for it. 
All you have to do is ask, so just do it. My favorite one is my dad comes to me and he says, Jake, can you help me find this Bible verse that is my favorite Bible verse? My dad is not a Christian, okay? And so he sa I said, yeah, dad, I said, I'd be happy to because I get excited to talk about Jesus with my dad anytime we get to talk. And he says, feed a man for a day, or no, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day, teach a man to fish and he eats for a lifetime. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, when I was younger, I probably looked around for that verse for days and days and days. <laughs> And then I realized, you know, it's not in the Bible, okay? And I'm like, Dad, that is the worst example of Scripture I've ever heard, right? So I said, that's not biblical, right? And Jesus knows that none of this is biblical. These all sound really good, but they're all horribly untrue. Measured next to God's word, these are just clever statements with absolutely no value. And we do this in our society. We take things and give it value all the time. It's trash, okay? If it doesn't lift him up and give him glory, if it doesn't show you your true state of self, it's not worth believing it, okay? Like, it could be a clever meme and it could make you feel good. You might share it and it has this nice sunset behind it. But if it's not true, it's not true. Okay? So we need to know the word of God in their proper context so that our trust in God will increase. It's like that moment in the Garden of Eden when the, Eden, when the devil asked Eve, are you sure that God told you not to eat the fruit? It's that same manipulation of the words that, of God that the devil was trying to impress upon Jesus. The same kind of questioning we find Adam and Eve doing in the garden is the same kind of questioning the devil is trying to create in Jesus' mind. However, he cannot persuade him because he knows the words in their true context. What if Jesus had jumped and God had not caught him? Does that mean that God doesn't love Jesus or that Jesus' identity would have changed? I don't think so. Haven't we all experienced a ton of unfavorable times in our lives or time where we made poor choices? The moment we found ourselves back in God's care by asking for his forgiveness? He had taken those moments that seemed so painful and hard and turned them into something beautiful. Isn't that remembering the familiar places that he met us before? We have a tendency to see verses like Psalm 91, 11 through 12 involving God commanding angels to care for us and believe this thought process, right, that nothing bad happens to those that trust in Christ. But that is absolutely and 100% not true. And I made a joke recently where I was on Facebook and I shared the Easy Street sign in Port Orchard. Did you guys know there's an Easy Street in Port Orchard? And I wrote, I want to live here, but we're not called to this. Okay, but we think that we are. Life isn't always easy, and in those moments where we struggle and life isn't going as planned and we find it hard to trust God, what does it say? It says, count it all joy when you face trials because he found us worthy of testing. And that's James 1, 2 through 4. That is biblical. The testing of our faith in those hard times produces perseverance. When perseverance finishes its work, you will mature and complete, not lacking anything. So we got to know the word in proper context. We need to be careful to not let someone give us a weak interpretation of what the word of God says. We need to be able to look for ourselves and find out what it means in the context it was given. Who was the word spoken by? Who was it spoken to? What was it spoken for? And as you familiarize yourself with his word, you will enjoy it, study it, and you'll allow it to build trust in your relationship with God. This leads us to the, first, the third and final thing I want you to remember this morning. Remember that we don't have to test God 
Look at Jesus' response to the devil in Luke 4.12. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. How firm is that statement? Isn't that a peculiar way to respond to a scripture reference? Jesus is actually using scripture to refute scripture. Jesus knows the devil has already miscued his scripture reference and he's tossing a dart right back at him. He's like, here's your zinger, Satan. I've been waiting to throw this. But he's using scripture absolutely correct to the incorrect use. And he says, because if you were to cross-reference, you see that his response comes from Deuteronomy 6.16. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa. Massa was a place that the Israelites had contended with God. God had become extremely angry because of their lack of trust. I talked about it earlier. He had freedom from their slavery. When they set up their camp, there was no water to drink. So they had gone to Moses and told him to give him this water. Moses asked them why they would contend with him and test the Lord after he had done this great act for them. To which they doubted that God was with them. And they even asked the question, is the Lord among us or not? I'm like, what? He just led you somewhere. He just brought you out of the craziest scenario. And you're like, is he with us? What other proof do you need? Do <laughs> you know how weird that sounds? You're measuring needing water with the act of being set free. But I do this. I do this anytime something is bothering me and I choose not to pray because I think whatever is bothering me doesn't matter to God. When I make a heavier important decision without consulting God. I do this anytime I trust in something more than I trust in God. I do this when I consult my wife before consulting God. Or when something's bothering her and I say I prayed about it but I really didn't. You guys know you've done it. You don't have to raise your hand. God has a reason that he brought us to where we are. Why would we test him in that way? If you look at Psalm 95, 8, it says, Do not harden your hearts as Meribah is on the days of Massa in the desert. They had literally hardened their hearts. And that had altered their trust. What's even more incredible about this story is that God in his faithfulness continues to be faithful to them because God provides them water, even with their stinky attitudes. This is proof that God is more reliable and trustworthy than we are. Our allegiance shifts whether something's going our way or not. God's allegiance is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. If you are his, he loves you, and he's going to take care of you if you trust him. You don't need to test that, but rather rely on that. Just as God produced water for the Israelites at Massa, he will at the same time provide for you in your moment of greatest need, the same way he did for Jesus. But you need to remember not to trust him. but in, No, not to test him. But instead, rely on him and trust him. You got me all worked up up here, guys. So what do we do with all the information that we talked about this morning? One, I want you to find your places of victory. I want you to find those places that God met you. And I want you to hold on to them. I want you to write them down. Put them in your wallets. Put them in your purse. Get a little notepad. And every time it happens, write it down. So you can read through it when you find yourself in a familiar place. Remind yourself that if he showed up, he's going to show up again. And he's going to do it again and again and again because he loves you and he is for you. Two, I want you to create a reserve of promises for yourself. 
I want you to start thinking about those things that people have tried to say to distort your version of what God's word says. And I want you to figure out what the word says so that you can also have a conversation with the person who's trying to make you think that way. What a great way to witness to someone. The last thing is I want you to be thankful without expectation. I know that sounds funny. But don't always assume that if something doesn't go your way, that that means God doesn't care for you. Remember all the ways in which God has led you and trust that where he is leading you is for your good and his glory. Jesus could withstand the temptations of the devil because he saw the heavenly father as trustworthy. Jesus knew the God that he met in the temple as a boy and just how enamored he was by God's presence. When the devil brought him to the temple, he didn't get confused. He remembered that God had met him there. Jesus also knew the context of the words that the devil was trying to manipulate in order to make him doubt God. But because of that, Jesus could anchor in and around the truth rather than giving in to this cheap version of it. Last, Jesus remembered that he didn't have to test God. God was who he relied on for everything. And that was more than enough. If we can remember the familiar places, scripture and context, and not to test God, that we would rely on him, we will see that the Heavenly Father is completely trustworthy. Maybe this morning, you have never taken a step to put your trust in the Father. If that's you, we have a prayer team that stands right there. Do you guys see that? I don't know if everybody ever sees that, but there are some hinged doors. If you have never trusted Jesus this morning, and that's something that you are thinking about doing. Go talk to our prayer team. Or go ask them for prayer about something that's really bugging you or a way that the enemy has tried to trip you up. We're here to be that for you. We're here to pray with you, to love you, to care for you. He is trustworthy. Pray with me this morning. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we ask that you would remind us of the truth of your word. We ask that you would help us to trust you and to see you as you truly are, not made up versions of you, not things people have told us about you, but God, you for who you are. Help us to stand firm in our temptations and help us to remember, God, how you have been there with us the entire time and help us to see you even when we don't think we can, Father. In your name, amen. So I'm gonna invite you guys to take part in communion. We should have people coming out here with the elements. Oh, and I dripped my water. I think this is why Megan doesn't give this to me. And I asked her to this morning. I just spilled it. Okay, so on the night Jesus was betrayed, he was sitting with his disciples at table. And he said to them, he took the bread and he said, this is my body that is broken for you. When you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant that has been made by the shedding of my blood. And when you drink this, you do this in remembrance of me. And it proclaims my kingdom until I return. Thank you, guys.